Ladies and gentlemen, damas y caballeros, welcome to Siempre Palante. Feliz Año Nuevo, mi gente. Wishing you an abundance of health, wealth, love, and happiness in the new year. This episode is just what you need to break through on those resolutions. Our guests embrace the power of faith, love, y familia by detoxing myths and creating healthy boundaries. As a life coach, she helps moms get their lives back and realize their full potential. Please welcome host of the One Day at a Time podcast, Karina F. Daves. Who is Karina F. Daves? <laughs> Hi, everybody. Well, obviously, you know my name. And thank you to Iraldo for having me here on his platform. And such a blessing for us, especially as Latinos, to really share this space together. But I'm a life coach, especially for moms. I love helping moms get their freaking lives back because we can get so caught up in all of our roles and responsibilities of being a mother, of being a partner, of being a homeowner, a car owner, whatever it is that we forget about ourselves. And so my role as a life coach is I love resurrecting the side of you that got lost through all of those things, which were amazing additions to your life. But my job is to bring you back. I'm also the podcast host of One Day at a Time, also known as ODAT, where any episode I'm telling you will speak life into you and will literally make you feel like you can do anything. If that's not clean cut to the point. I don't know what is. And that is how you give everyone a sneak peek on what you do, your hustle and your grind. So this wasn't always the case. You started from somewhere. Who were some of the folks early on in your life that helped shape the person you are today? Yeah, that's such a deep question. And I thank you for asking that because Plenty of times, one of the things I talk about, especially just with the people that I help, is that we look for so much validation from our family for everything that we do, the decisions that we make, the people that we date, the things that we purchase. And I think it definitely is embedded and part of the recipe of our culture to just be in unison, be in part of community. We're just so passion-driven people that it only makes sense that that validation really had to come from a younger age or from our family. And that's not my story. So I grew up in Peru, Chimpun Callao, anybody who can resonate with that. And I'm very proud to be Peruvian. I also come from a lot of brokenness, as a lot of us may have. And I have a lot of people, including my own parents, who are divorced and who were sold on the idea that money is aligned with family as well. And so when we came to this country, there was a lot of lies and a lot of deception and growing up, there wasn't a lot of value on loyalty and honesty. And those are some of the things that I had to actually learn in my later years in making decisions that weren't good in crossing the line with people and not valuing the things that they told me because I grew up in an environment where the cheeseman was the cheeseman, right? Like you just continuously tell the story of somebody that told you to keep it a secret. When I arrived to college, I had already had 17 years of people telling me 
you have such a strong voice and passion to help people that you need to become a lawyer because my parents' mindset growing up from scarcity and not having much, they only really understood that you could only have power if you were a lawyer or a doctor. And so that was instilled in me. There were plenty of times where I would wake up and I would say to my parents, like, I really want to go to a homeless shelter. I really want to help fundraise for this and for that. And I love my parents. They did the best that they could do with the mindset that was instilled in them. But they would say no. Even at 19, when I was given the opportunity to pilot a program in Ghana to work with the United Nations in Ghana, my mom said, no, you can't go. And if you go, we're going to cut you off. Because in her mind, it was you're going to get hurt. You can't do stuff like that. And I went anyways. And my mom cut me off (laughs) because of the values that we grew up with, right? Like those things and stepping outside of our comfort zone is scary. And so while my upbringing taught me a lot and there was a lot of love, I'm not going to deny that there was also a lot of fear. And so I didn't really learn a lot about values and boundaries and loyalty and love and what love should look like and how to really advocate for myself and be that change agent till I was much older in college, where I would say it was the place where I made the most mistakes, the place where people saw something in me and took me under their wing. I remember one instance, I was in somebody's office. I had a 2.3 GPA and I wanted to be a research assistant. And the dean looked at me and said, have you seen your grades? And I said, yeah, but like, I would be so good at this. (laughs) And she said, I mean, the kids that we're accepting into this program have like three fives, three sevens. And I'm like, I know that. But if you just give me a chance, I know that I can do this. I'm changing my life for the better. I had a really messed up first year. I focused on the partying, walling out, staying up all night, drinking, doing things I shouldn't have done. and. I'm ready. I'm ready for more. You just have to take a shot on me. And she said, all right, we're taking a shot. She took a shot on me. And it was one after the other, like people just looked at me and said, all right, we choose you. (laughs) I didn't have the best qualifications, but I had the best quality. Quality over qualifications. I had a story to tell. I had something that I wanted to work on. And I was kind of like selling myself where I was like in this place of telling people, (laughs) You know, if you want to be and leave your legacy a certain way, help me. And I learned the power also of selling at such a young age, but also pulling through. Like I rarely let people down at that point. But to answer your question, I love my family and I love the culture I grew up with, but a lot of it was toxic. A lot of it I needed to dismantle. And a lot of it, I'm actually breaking a lot of generational toxicity now being married. I mean, it's really taboo to even go to therapy, right? But like my husband and I have worked so hard on our marriage and that began when we started therapy. But yeah, that's where I started really working on myself was in college. Wow. You just saying Peru off the bat. Peru's culture is beautiful, just like all Latino cultures. There's little traditions that all cultures have that we do this on this day because of this. We honor our ancestors this way because of this. What are a few that stand out to you that make your heart smile? So two of the things that I brought with me are community and 
valuing celebrations. I didn't grow up with a lot of money, but I knew that events like important dates were just huge in my family. I'm talking about partying because somebody's tooth fell out or, you know, partying hard for like the 37th birthday and celebrating that person's life. So I would say that celebration was something huge in my family that I definitely continue to bring on. And it was so foreign to my husband because he's like, what? It's just a birthday. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We got to like make the entire house with balloons and we need this and we need that. And as soon as the person wakes up, they got to wake up to this music and come down the stairs and see this spread. And we just were a family that really celebrated a lot of accomplishments and events in such a big way. And also what I bring with me is community. We were the type of family that we're just there for people no matter what. This is where we have to come together a lot of times because I'm sort of like, if somebody places out their hand, I'm like, oh, whatever, let's help him. And my husband's more so like, well, do they have a knife on them? Do they want to kill me? Are they okay? You know, he's more of the protector type of person. And I'm sort of, let's help them all. And so the building of community really is a value that I bring on. I'm the person that like walks down the street in the morning and says hi to like every neighbor that I see that's like half asleep getting their trash out. <laughs> and I look crazy, but I don't care. Like I really value community. And that is why I even got into the coaching business because I really do believe that God has placed me on earth to uplift and advise and build up women, especially moms who through some of the toxic cultural mindsets that we have about moms and the things that moms should do really tend to lose themselves. So community and celebration are two things that I really do believe I brought with me. Celebration and community. Tell me about the most favorite celebration you had, like the one that stands out. What was the one that stood out and why? I have two. One that's the funniest and the one that I always think about and stand out is my grandma's 65th birthday. And the reason why it stood out is because Latinos really don't know how to measure space versus population that they're inviting to this space. I don't think we do a good job of this. And the house was packed. And I just remember so much laughter, like laughter above the music. I remember so much food and I was about like 12 or 13 years old. And then I remember going to bed and then I remember waking up and everybody was still there. And they were now got fish to make ceviche and they were just like, we got to still eat breakfast. And I was like, wow, like you guys will never leave. And then there's a famous song, I don't remember the name of it, but it says, No hay cama pa tanta gente. And so my grandma started playing that song to sort of like cue people, like, hey, this song means there's not a lot of beds for everybody. So get out of my house. And that was people's like laughter and cue to leave. And then my second celebratory moment has always actually been when we celebrate our anniversary with my husband. He's so intentional about the way he does because we're learning each other. And I remember going on vacation. I remember gifts and certain events. But I really what I value about those moments is 
just the really deep work that we're doing because we both have ideas of what relationship and marriage should look like. And when you bring those both ideas together, they may not necessarily match. Like, you know, you have a common thread, which is that you both love each other, but then you're also bringing up history from like, well, this is how my parents did it, right? Because you grew up with certain parents and I'm like, I didn't grow up with both all the time physically in the house. So you both have these ideas. And so I really love when we celebrate our anniversary, because to me, it's like, look how far we've come. Look at what we're doing, you know, and it's kind of like we're taking this audit of the last year. So those are my two most memorable and favorite forms of celebration. First time you ever had ceviche? Oh, first time I had ceviche was in the womb. Because like it wasn't as serious as now, modern advanced medicine, I guess now is telling women to not eat raw fish, but that wasn't the case back then. I remember my mom telling stories of like, I ate so much ceviche when I was pregnant with you. And then my grandparents had a restaurant when I was born. So we had even more. She's like, I fed it to you when you were like a couple months. This is what we eat. Sometimes when people ask me what your top three favorite cuisines are, number one really is Peruvian food because I grew up for 17 years. My mom cooked Peruvian food every day. I'm talking about every day I ate a Peruvian dish. That really resonates now with me as I'm thinking about it because I don't make Peruvian food every day. But I also think back to what my mom could have done if she wasn't making Peruvian food every day. The goals that she could have focused on if she wasn't so harbored with a sentiment that she needed to fulfill a standard of a woman, which was to cook every day. I don't cook every day. This is leading into other thoughts. But yes, ceviche is my favorite food. The first time I had it, I was in the womb. I literally love it. I actually make it really, really well. I've given workshops on how to make it. And it's my favorite food. Peruvian is my favorite cuisine. Number two is Asian. And I would say number three is probably anything fried. (laughs) What were some of those influences in your family that really have stayed with you? Not just the family to limit it, but people that really have impacted you in your life and things you've learned from them and you're still doing to this day? Yeah. So I think migrating to this country is something that is life-changing. When you migrate to this country, all you have on your mind is the hustle, make the money and get the kids to school and a good education. And so I think that my family was very much full of love and had very good intentions, but in the sense, we're sort of like the guinea pigs in this experiment on being on the land of the free, I guess, right? Because we're all trying to pursue freedom. I watched my family, really just their work ethic was just so determined. I was super appreciative of that. And I would say that where I am now, my work ethic definitely comes from my parents and my family and watching everything that they built. Like I don't ever remember hearing the word lazy or watching them rest as much as they should. What I will say about that though, is that it developed into very, what I see now as toxic work ethic, because while Latinos, when we migrate to this country, we work, work, work. 
It comes at the sacrifice of our own dreams and the things that we want to do at the sacrifice of spending time, like actual authentic raw time with our kids. It doesn't mean that you don't love your children, but it just means that there's all these other systems in place that make you believe that you're nothing if you don't do X, Y, Z. So for example, the man has to work all the time. He's not a man if he doesn't work his butt off and sleeps two hours. And then the woman, she can stay home or she can work, but then she also has to get all these other things done, all the chores done in order to make it feel like she is a woman because she can cook and she can fold clothes and she can take care of a baby. And so I would say that, in my thirties is really when I started to unpack my work ethic and realized that it was a little bit toxic. I was working in this very loyal mentality where I felt like I owed something to somebody because they gave me a job rather than I earned it myself. You see in my family, it was very much this feeling that they had to be loyal to their place of employment because they gave them a job rather than my parents earn that job rather than them having the skills and the intelligence to earn that job. It was more that they had to burn out at the detriment and expense of dismantling what they're building. And so my thirties was a lot of unpacking what work ethic looked like and what rest looked like, what relaxation looked like and what actually not being in a rush looked like. And now a word from our host, Hirado Luis. Did you know, sabias que countless New Year's resolutions never experience their full potential? One thing we want to be careful of is not to set unrealistic expectations. Start with small attainable goals that add up to bigger ones being accomplished. The important thing is to start one step at a time. Build on each success, celebrate, and repeat. Here's some tips that will help you achieve your goals and much more. Curate your time daily so that you get the most out of it. Time is the ultimate currency. Invest wisely. Document your journey. It will help guide you along the way. Remember that your mental health is just as important as your physical health. Focus on spiritual meditation and prayer to keep you balanced. Take what you learn and pay it forward. Paso a paso, step by step. Ya tu sabe, now back to the show. So share with me a moment in your life where you were cruising down the highway and out of nowhere, something happened. It's not so much about what happened what did you do to get back on track? The biggest life event that I talk about constantly that while I love my family and I love the community I built, one of the biggest things that happened to me was that I got sick. Actually, I got hurt first and then I got sick. So I had created the life that everybody wanted for me. I had become this human checklist where I was checking things off like, getting a degree, then getting a master's, then getting a full-time job, moving out of state, dating somebody, getting married, having a child, moving in with them, saving up for a home. I never realized, I never stopped to think if this is really what I wanted for myself. And as a woman and as a wife and as somebody who had a career, Yes, I was in love with my life, but I had to really stop and think if I'm doing this to make mommy and daddy happy. Am I here now? Did I get this degree for them? Did I get my master's for them? Or was that something that I really wanted? And 
I ended up breaking my foot in 2017. And it was the first break that I had from work. I was out of work for about six to eight weeks with this broken foot. I ended up having surgery and it caused me to have a lot of alone time with my thoughts. And I actually had my baby at this point already. I started to think to myself, what am I doing? Am I good? Do I like myself? And then a month after that, I lost 80% of hearing in my ear. And then my son almost died during a very routine ear tube surgery. Then my husband was diagnosed with Lyme's disease. Then our cars were totaled in front of our home three times. So then it was insane because then I ended up getting an infection in my body, which caused me to live with a drain in my body for the next two years in which I had to change the gauze every 30 minutes. I wasn't happy. I was at the point where my pain level was so high. I ended up having to have five surgeries because the infection kept coming back. It was brutal. And I remember after the third surgery, I was in the doctor's office getting a second opinion. And he looked at me and he said, so how much of Valium are you taking? And I said, none, they only gave me Tylenol. And he said, the reason why you're not healing is because we actually have to put you out so you could actually heal, wake up, not be in pain. And it was this moment where I just looked at him and what he said to me resonated much more deeper than the pain that I was going through. What he was saying was that rest and healing is required in order for you to feel like the most authentic part of who God wants you to be. And this doctor was actually a Christian and we sat there and I said, doc, I'm in so much pain, but I'm afraid to take pills like Valium. And he said, listen, we're going to put you on this regimen. You're going to have to do this for a couple of weeks, but it will heal. You will get healed. You're in so much pain. You're at above a 10. You're not able to see your blind spots. You're not able to see so then your body can't function and your body can't heal. We need to take out certain things. And so I said, okay. And so I went home and I said to myself, if I have to do this for my body, then I need to do this probably for my life. There are probably things in my life, people in my life and habits in my life that I really need to break from. And so I started journaling. The hour that I was awake in pain, I'm telling you, I would get up in agony, screaming, right? In the shower, screaming in the kitchen as I got breakfast ready for my son. It was so bad. I remember journaling and through journaling, I realized that there was a lot of toxic people, a lot of boundaries that I didn't create for my life that I needed to detox from in order for me to reach not a higher level, but for me to reach the state of where I should be rather than where everybody was telling me to be. I am a very joyful, laughing, smiling, light up the room type of person. I am the life of the party. But at some point, I had allowed things in my life that no longer served my future. In addition to the journaling, what other things helped you persevere? Saying no. <laughs> saying no, I'm a yes person. Like I say yes to 
everything. I am the ultimate people pleaser. And that really comes from my culture. You have to help everybody at the expense of possibly dismantling your own life. I felt so much guilt. I have to say, I remember feeling so guilty about saying no, but now five years later, I feel great. (laughs) But, you know, especially in the Latino culture, we don't grow up saying no to people that need help. We don't grow up saying no to somebody. I mean, if somebody five years ago called me to help them move and I already had plans, I mean, I would drop everything and I would need to do that because I really wanted to be a good friend. But I realized that nobody's keeping tabs on this. Is there any other messages you want to send to the listeners about what you went through? Yeah. One word that is really taboo in our community and for people of color is therapy. Therapy helped me unpack and stop and think about what I was doing. It helped me realize that there were certain things that I was not worrying about and saying I was over it when in reality I wasn't. People misperceive it. I also went to marriage therapy with my husband. And I mean, we went through it for about close to three years. No marriage is perfect, but there were a lot of things that we even unpacked in that. And I would say that saying no, really detoxing from certain habits and therapy really helped propel me to have ideas. You see, like what happens is that When you go through therapy, you're able to unpack things that have been locked in a box and that kind of fog your current state of mind and don't help you see as clear as you need to. When you get therapy and go through that, it provides a sense of clarity. Yes, you will probably cry and be upset that whatever happened to you happened, but it gives you a sense of clarity. So now you can open up the creativity vault in a new profound way. I've always been a very creative person. I mean, I've been designing since I was 14, 15 years old. I've been throwing birthday parties and events and talking to people and being in communities and volunteering. Like that's who I've always loved and wanted to be. But therapy helped me be a clearer version of that and give me more clarity on the things that I need and don't need and gave me the ability and strength to start saying no. I also want to say about therapy, it not only gives you an opportunity to unpack and give you clarity, but it gives you tools. So what I will say is that like we go through life thinking that we made it through something and we made it with our joy and our positivity. And yeah, that's great. That's what I have thought for over 20 years that I was over my parents' divorce, that I was in a space where I was like, whatever, like they weren't meant to be together and it is what it is. And I love both of my parents and I'm super positive about it. But what I didn't realize is that when I got married, some of the traits and habits that my parents had during their divorce actually came through in the beginning of my marriage. And when I went back to therapy, the therapist helped me unpack that and to see the correlation between those two. And that's what you call clarity. But then therapy is an extra step. It also says, try this. This is a tool for next time you have this situation and you feel that way. So the next time you have grief, the next time you have loss, I know you did it this way, but try it this way because it can actually help you even more. So would you rather 
show up to an open house and not know how to get a mortgage? Or would you rather show up to an open house and already have gone to see the therapist who's the mortgage lender and talk to people and realize that this is how you get a mortgage so that when you show up to the house, you know exactly what you're doing. You've been pre-qualified. You've gained the skills. You've gained the armor to go in there and realize, okay, this is how I negotiate. Don't get upset at the realtor. This is how I talk. This is what I look for. I know broken windows, like whatever it is that you're looking for. So it's not just clarity, but it's also the tools to be able to purchase the next step of your life. It's just different. In addition to what you do in your profession, your career, You help moms become super moms. You give them the tools of the trade. You give them advice. You prepare them. What are some other things that you do to pay it forward in the community? Just paying it forward. What are some of the things you do? My husband and I, especially given COVID and the things that are going on, we're really in the season of pouring into each other. My husband works also a nine to five as a master technician. And one of his dreams is to be a race car driver. And one of my dreams was always to open up a business and become a life coach. And so that's what I am today, a life coach for women, especially moms, helping them get their lives back. And my husband's goal was to run eight seconds down a quarter mile track at over 160 miles an hour. That's his goal. We spent, I would say the first six, seven years of our marriage serving a lot. We were part of our church community, church online, volunteering, giving back, visiting people. I would say we were pouring a lot. And I'm not saying it was anything bad, but COVID really allowed us to see that church is just a building and you can have church anywhere. And so we began having church at home, not even pastor led, just scripture led and us talking and having conversations with our children and really having our own community here and enjoying that rawness. So right now, when I think about giving back, I'm pouring more into my husband, myself, my family than I ever have in the last nine years. I know that COVID did that because right before COVID hit, I had my second son, Levi, in November of 2019. And I remember I was going to start a podcast. I was going to start a whole bunch of things, launch a website. And I was getting back into this dangerous place of checking things off a list. And COVID really stopped me and it stopped our entire family. This family has been at its best when it pours into each other. In the last year and a half, that's really what we've been doing. It hasn't been easy, but it's been a really beautiful miracle to watch. It really has. What is legacy to you and what are you doing now to pay it forward to contribute to that legacy? I think for us, there are several legacies that we're building here. Individually, as a woman and a woman of God, as a wife, as a daughter, as a mother. And then my husband and I constantly talk about the Daves dynasty. My last name being Daves. We constantly are talking Does this help the Dave's dynasty? Does this build generational knowledge? Does this build generational wealth? Does this build generational freedom? Does this break us from the chains of generational toxicity of the way our parents used to talk to us or the way that we grew up thinking about money? For me and solely for me as a woman of faith and as a woman of God, Christ is my legacy. 
people used to shame me for only speaking to my kids in Spanish. They used to talk about how it would back them and their development. And I remember thinking like, I only have a few things to pass down here. (laughs) And that is our Christianity and our community in growth and our faith. And then there's my culture, my culture and my faith. These are the two things that are part of my legacy that I got to pass down. And then the third thing that I'm passing down is new habits, new mindsets, new treatments of people, the way we manage our money. All those three things, when I think about my legacy, I center it around our faith, our culture, and breaking past generational toxic habits. How do we create these little human beings? And I'm not trying to create perfect children at all because they're going to grow up and be on some podcast 20 years from now talking about all the stuff I did wrong. I know that, but it will get better with time. And I want my kids at the end of the day to know that I tried. That is why as much as I'm like, my parents did this and did that, I always give them credit. I always say, you know what? But they tried. They tried with the best that they knew. So every single generation, every single legacy is not about perfectionism. It's just about trying with as many tools and resources that you have around you that you even know that you can access. Like my family didn't know that they could access therapy or that they could journal or that they could do things for themselves. And now we have a whole movement around moms and around women. And it's about putting yourself first and not burning out and things of that nature. And so my mother and the female figures didn't have that. They had the mentality of women telling them, cook, cook, clean, clean, and work your butt off and sleep two hours and just have children, no matter if, you know, whatever it is and live paycheck to paycheck. That was their mindset. And now 30 years later, I'm surrounded around women that are like, Hey, do you know about fire financial independence, retirement early? Let's retire you by 45. Hey, do you know that you can buy a house. Hey, do you know that you can be a life coach? Like there's all these nuances. Hey, do you know that you don't have to do your laundry? (laughs) You know, you can outsource that. It's just different. And mom shame is real. Guilt is real. But every single legacy and every single generation is being surrounded by new tools and resources. And it's really up to us to instill a mindset in our children to be open I grew up in a very closed mindset. Don't trust anybody. You never sleep over Benny's house or Sarah's house. You don't sleep over anybody. The only people that you help is your family. Go hard for your family and work as hard as you can and study. It was very different mindsets. Hey, don't talk back. I don't want to hear your feelings. I'm the parent here. I know best. And now it's a different mindset that I'm growing up with. And one example that I want to share with the audience is that I remember being super young and telling my mom, like, hey, mom, I'm sad. I feel lonely. And I remember the response and not to badmouth my mom, but I remember my mom just knowing to say, forget about that. You're not lonely. Get over it in her loving way. Like, you don't have to feel like that, like whatever. Right. And then allowing me to just never process my feelings. Because that's what happens when we just tell our kids to get over it. You never process it. And then you create these men and women that are then supposed to go into the world and marry each other. And you have wives complaining that their husbands don't know how to communicate. Well, there you go. I'm not saying blame it on the moms. I'm just saying that these are environments that we're creating human beings to then go off and go to school and have relationships with. And then people are saying they don't talk to me or they're always happy, but I never know what's in their mind going on. And so I had a moment on Sunday when my six-year-old son woke up out of his sleep. He woke up around 11 and he said, mom, 
I'm really lonely. And I was like, why are you lonely? I was like, I'm here. And he goes, well, I'm lonely because you're sitting in the backyard hanging out with daddy. And like, I feel like I'm in the house. And I was like, well, you're not lonely, honey. We're just in separate parts of the house. I was like, just go back to sleep. And he said, okay. So I closed the door. You know, that ugly cry where you're just like breathing in and you can't get a word out. I hear him say, I just feel really lonely. And I heard it. I was walking down the stairs and I was like, you have a decision right now to make. Do you make the decision to hold your son and let him know that he's not lonely? Or do you just say, forget it, he'll get over it. Now is when you have to make a decision to change what you grew up with. And I went in that room and I just held him. And I said, you're not lonely, I'm right here. This is a kid that never needs me to go to sleep with him. We've never co-slept. He just randomly woke up and felt lonely. I tried to process the loneliness with him. He didn't understand it. He just needed to be held. And I want this black Peruvian boy to realize that if his wife ever says to him, I just want to be held, that he doesn't shrug her off, that he says, all right, baby, I got you. That's a legacy right there. Gracias, Karina, for motivating us to break through in the new year. Your story and advice gives us the roadmap to create positive change in our lives. For all my listeners, kindly rate and review the show. Five stars and little love go a long way. Check the show description for more info on where you can find Karina via social media. A special Palante shout out goes out to my team, guests, and listeners who continue to help grow this cultural space. Thank you for all your love and support. Next week, our guests will be Gwen and Doug Bryant. They are leading the way in colorectal cancer awareness, challenging health experts to think differently. How they got here is a story of faith, hope, and legacy. You don't want to miss it. Tune in and tell a friend. Hasta la próxima. Palante. Palante.